Just like a runner who defecates into his own pants, MSU hobbled over the finish line and into a bowl game. Speaking of defecating, Duke comes to Breslin and takes a dookie on our chest. U of M says, hold my beer, I'll have two of those. Your Twitter questions, a look at the week ahead, and more. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to those very, very relevant Wolverines, Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined, as always, by my good friend, Kevin Greck. It's been a hell of a week, and we're excited to be back with you, taking a look at all things MSU and sports. Kevin, one word. What's your emotional state after this weird week? Ecstatic. What satisfying games these have been, right? You... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> barely barely crossing the finish line against uh just like the dregs of the Big 10 Maryland team. <laughs> and then uh we're going to get into it, but I think everyone that was in attendance or watching that MSU Duke game last night was I don't know, looking for the exits early. That team had no fight. It was obvious what was going to happen by 5 minutes into the second half. Not good. Not a good showing for the Spartoons this week. Not at all. And so one way to get out of the sorrows or to maybe, uh, I guess, mitigate your ecstatic feelings uh, is to crack a beer uh, or take a trip down to our presenting sponsor, Fraser's Pub in Ann Arbor on Packard Street. I think it's Street. Fraser's Pub, for those who maybe are joining us for the first time, is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful bar in Ann Arbor that we do wholly endorse. We do a lot of fake ads here. This is not one of them. Uh, things you can count on at Fraser's Pub. Wood paneling. Multiple TVs that are of quality size and definition. A Big Ten friendly crowd. Uh, some real characters that are regulars. Like, it's like Cheers, but... Just, I don't know, would you say like alternative cheers? Sure. Yeah, that's what they want. They want to be known as alternative cheers. That's what they're paying us for. (laughs) Uh, In all seriousness, uh, great staff there, solid pub food, pub fare, uh, fantastic tap selection. And indeed, it is December, Greg, so you know what that means. Oh, there's a new uh, beer of the month, of course. there is. It is Bell's Official, which is a hazy IPA. It is <laughs> pungent and cloudy. Uh, it, its notes are of complex peach, stone fruit, and tropical um, with a dry finish. And Bell says, this is, this is a direct quote from Bell's, uh, this is a person who loves hops and prefers a wheat beer, <laughs> which I'm confused who that person is because... Yeah, those seem like conflicting uh, flavor <laughs> profiles to me. I wasn't going to say anything because they're paying the bills around here. Oh. But uh, I got to get me a Bell's official because this, uh, I don't know how this is going to work. You got pungent, you got cloudy, you got complex, you got stone fruit, you got hops, you got wheat. Sure. I mean, I'm a simple man. I'm sipping on a Canadian over here, but uh, I got to try a Bell's official. 
I, I got to say, I looked at the logo for the beer, and it has sort of a, a very nostalgic baseball feel to it. And I've not tried it. I'm excited to try it. Uh, for listeners who uh, are maybe interested, what's great is if you go to Fraser's Pub, the beer of the month is uh, 23 ounces for the same price as a pint, which I think clocks in at 4.95. Don't quote me on that, but do go check them out. Uh, and please, please flag the manager down and set, tell them that Can't Read, Can't Write sent you. It would mean a whole lot to us. Look, you guys are drinking anyway. Go drink at Fraser's. I can't help but think that this uh, ad copy has gone long because perhaps we don't really want to acknowledge our next segment where we dig deep into MSU football and basketball. Yeah. <laughs> are, we, yeah. are we sticking with, uh, with Fraser's pub and talking about all that stuff because we don't, we don't really want to acknowledge the horrors of the last week? Yeah. So in, in case maybe this is your first time or second time to the pod, uh, A, thank you for joining us. And B, what we're going to do now is is take a look at some of the narratives surrounding um, the the MSU performances over the past week uh, in a segment we call The Green Wall. Afterwards, we will uh, go and discuss some of the news that's happening off Grand River covering, you know, college and, and sometimes professional sports stories that are that are taking up headlines. And then finally, we'll, we'll move on to preview the games ahead. Of course, you can look forward to our fake ads in between. So with that, Kevin, let's get into it. Uh, Duke came to the Breslin Center and absolutely pantsed MSU to the tune of 87 to 75 uh, in a performance that Izzo described as being outcoached, outplayed, and outworked. And I would also add that Izzo took a, 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 made an interesting point that he's, he said, you know, uh, I'm 12 and 2 against Coach K. It's a lot of years with a lot of uh, different players. Opposite. Two and twelve. Oh, sorry, two and twelve. Yes, it, sorry, the loss was so fresh that it came first in my mind. <laughs> uh, yes, two and twelve uh, against Coach K, and so that's a, a lot of losses that came over, you know, multiple teams, and so you know he he took some of the the blame pretty squarely on the nose or the chin or whatever or the chest, any body part you really want we to all lay it on him. The chest, <laughs> dookied right there. Um, I don't know. You were in attendance, so yeah. uh, I I know we're going to have some some questions about it later. But tell me what you took away from the game. Well, in fairness to Coach Izzo, uh, there have been ta- talent discrepancies in each of those games, and last night was no exception. There was nothing to be done about Vernon Carey, who was runner up. MSU was runner-up in the Vernon Carey sweepstakes, chose between Duke and MSU. Uh, and that dude, you know, had his own way with the MSU front court last night. Uh, I, I don't know, man. It The crowd was in it at first. You know, of course, Draymond Green's numbers retired at halftime. It's unfortunate uh, that no one's really going to remember uh, this game, uh, you know, fondly. As a result, uh, I am fortunate now. This is my second number retirement game. The first one was Mo Pete when I was in the Izone. And that was a great game against Brag. Wisconsin. Yeah, that's right. That's a bit of a flex. That was a great game against Wisconsin. Similar deal, kind of tight at the half. I think MSU was behind a little bit. Uh, 
really emotional at halftime, the whole ceremony. And then MSU sort of came alive in the second half and they ended up winning that game. Uh, Unfortunately, Lightning did not strike twice and Duke just coasted in the second half. What did you see from home? What did they say on the broadcast? Well, I, what they said on the broadcast, I I, I don't really remember. Um, I, I think the broadcast actually tried to make it feel more competitive than than anyone watching thought Keep it was. Keep you watching? Yeah, I mean, um, look, I will say them on their worst day is leaps and bounds superior to any amount of athleticism I could bring to a basketball court. They are. So I say this knowing that I am not in a position to critique them, but they looked dead. Uh, they looked slow. Yeah. They, they looked soft. They, they, I mean, it, it was a lack of fight that I have not seen in an Izzo team before. Now, it it reminds me of you'll recall we had a conversation after the Kentucky game where I said I don't know what this team's identity is and you talked me out of a bit out of it a bit and we went over the stat line and then I was like well I was pretty wasted in that game and so you know I I, I got talked out of it and lo and behold you need to have resolve that, Michael the thing that everyone is saying now is this team has no identity. And I go back to that point. I don't know what this team is. And, and you know, they get out-rebounded. The, the amount of blocked shots that Duke had, which I think totaled at 11, Dude, maybe it was 12. Those transition were supposed to be buckets, those tosses up ahead in transition that Duke, it seemed like they blocked everyone off of the backboard. Because they didn't go to the rim hard. Oh, like, I mean, it, it was, it was the just, it was... It was tepid. It was just still water. Like I mean, it was. It was. It, there was a point in time where I wanted to smack one of the Duke players in the face because Only one point in time. Only one. I mean, it, there was no fight from the team, and and they were just manhandling us in a way that that was incredibly frustrating. And what was more frustrating is I didn't feel like anyone in the court cared. Well, we're going to get into this a little bit more with Twitter questions coming up. Uh, there's a couple of things that I'll say as well. It Right now, this team has one go-to scoring option in these types of games, and that's Cassius Winston. And he seems like he's got to work awful hard to generate some of those points. Uh, our guy, Aaron Henry, who's supposed to be coming alive this season, attempted two shots in the game. Two two shots the team shot like 25 percent from three 16 per 16 attempted threes made four of them like you just can't win games like that now with all that said msu somehow right now is still ken palm's number one offense um i've watched every minute of every one of their games and i don't know how that's possible but it is yeah. <laughs> I mean, that says a lot about the rest of college basketball then. I've seen a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed threes. I saw a lot of block shots last night. Man. Um, it, it is baffling. And I don't know how much that is preseason rankings baked in. Well, it should be but, none with Kempom. 
at this point. No, there's there's some. Because uh, he uses like returning players from last year or something, right? Right. Um, you know, Aaron Henry, to your point, two shots, um, mm-hmm. made one, I believe, on a dunk with like two minutes left. Yeah, um, great. Doesn't, and, and gets benched rightfully in the second half at the beginning because he wasn't, he was a non-factor. I mean, Rocket Watts, who we keep saying, he'll find his shot someday. Uh, and I think we need to start being a little bit more concerned about that. I've been concerned Rock- for a while. Like we've, if you're an yeah, MSU well, fan, you've really never seen a reliable scorer from, from Rocket Watts. Um, he's attempted a lot of shots at this point, and he had a reputation of being a scorer in high school, but it's not, it's not transferred over so far. But yeah. he gets time on the court because he's a reliable defender. And Izzo likes that. Yeah, so I guess you know we're kind of we're kind of jumping all over the place. So I would say there's a there's a few things that I'd like to just lay out very briefly. One is Cassius Winston. You're right is is as reliable as we have. The problem is is that in Cassius Winston, preseason All American point guard, likely Player of the Year, um, who is going through some understandably heavy stuff stuff after the loss of his brother. Of course. And so I I don't I this. What I'm about to say has nothing to do with any of that. But Cassius Winston at his best is still not athletic enough to run the Neitzel play. And for those who are not of a certain age may not remember that Drew Neitzel used to run around like 80 screens to get open for a three-point shot with like two seconds left on the shot clock. And we... Cassius isn't isn't able to do that. He's he's just not athletic enough. He's an amazing player and rightfully considered a preseason favorite for player of the year, but he's not that guy. So Cassius Winston is only as good as what he's able to get out of the people around him. They run Cassius Winston in ball screens still. They're just not, different. Not not like you know what I mean. You you yes, know that Drew I know. Neitzel I remember running. watching Drew Neitzel run off of like four screens. You know, I mean, out he, of bounds, would, back into bounds. Yeah, and then he, he'd run a circle around the court. And it was it, it, anyway. So that's point one. Point two is Aaron Henry needs to step up, or he needs to not be. He needs to be coming in off the bench because right now. He's not playing in the literally in the gear that we need him to play in. You know, he is he's stuck in one right now. And I mean, this this showing was. There are problems with that, though, there we would need another two at that point. And Gabe Brown struggles to guard shooting guards. And I guess you could move Rocket to the two but then he's not a reliable scorer uh, rocket is at the two well okay so when rocket's not running the plays um when when Cassius is sitting on the bench or when Cassius has moved to the two which I, I believe happened a couple times last night um but yeah go ahead you were you're rolling fine the the last thing i'll say is about xavier tillman who I think we all felt really strong about coming into the season. And the, the thing is, even though his numbers are, are pretty fine, he is not able to provide that sort of banging inside 
play type and a spark. So we don't have anyone who's thirsty inside and we don't have anyone who can shoot from the outside to free up Tillman for uh, a pick and roll or pick and pop. And so we got a problem and, and the offense from last year is not going to work for the offense this year. Yeah. It's becoming clear. And until Aaron Henry has the confidence of rocket Watts, which is to say, to I'm just going to jack gonna, those shots. Yeah. I would, I would be fine with Aaron Henry having the shooting percentage of rocket Watts for right now. If he had the confidence of rocket Watts. Yeah. So any, anyway, we can lay that, that game to bed because it was terrible, but we should say it was probably wrong for them to be preseason ranked number one. Well, that had, you know, that had built in expectations. Yep. That... So that it was probably wrong. And, and, and so. But this, this would also is... be a very different team if Jeremy Langford was playing. Josh Langford? Josh Langford. Pardon me. Pardon me. Uh, Josh Langford. Uh, understandable. Both studs, but one played football. Uh, the, yeah, Josh Langford, obviously that changes things, him being out likely for the rest of the year. It's still though, I, I don't know that even with him in, this would have been a number one team right now. And so I, I think we should all take a collective chill pill about okay. how the team is going to end up because we're a long way from figuring that out. But that's not to say that there aren't plenty of things to look at and say, hmm, this needs to be fixed. Well, I got good news. League play starts Sunday, and it's Rutgers. <laughs> well, and, and more good this news. This is going to be a Rutgers-heavy podcast. Yes, it is. Uh, that's and... what the people want. All of the listeners at home are thinking, yes, they just leaned in. I need I more, more Rutgers content. Rutgers talent. Yeah. Well, so, but anyway, the point is we should also probably have faith in a coach who's been doing this for over 20 years quite successfully. Except uh, for, as he pointed out, 2-12 and 12 against Coach K. Get yeah, well, Bum. not worried about it right now. Let's, let's just all take a beat, and we can be painfully aware that these are real problems that need to really be fixed. But we can also have faith in our coach and know that if anyone's going to fix them, it's going to be him. Should we bring the energy up a little bit? Uh, yes. And talk football. <laughs> yes, because what brings the energy up more than a program win played in a program game that uh, program with a football program? Maryland comes to East Lansing for Senior Day, and Michigan State ekes out a nineteen sixteen victory Oof. against. The team that would be obviously the worst team in the Big Ten if Rutgers didn't exist. If it weren't for Rutgers, Maryland would be truly the worst. Yeah. They oh. got destroyed by a not bowl bound Nebraska team last week. And then they played a barn burner against MSU on senior day. I mean, so look, this was an ugly win against a team that we didn't spend much time covering last week because we didn't think it was worth previewing the game. But like, at the same time, I think we set the expectation that this one might be close. I, did we? I was prepared for a close-ish game because MSU, as we saw again, simply cannot score points when the opportunity is presented. And Maryland has shown the ability 
to score points once or twice, particularly in yeah. the early part of the season. But it's happened before. So, so I was not surprised by a close game. I was kind of I was kind of hoping, I guess, that maybe something would click at some point and it wouldn't be all the same comedies of error that we've seen time and time again. But it was. It was. It was missed opportunities in the red zone. It was unable to convert on fourth down. It it was turnovers. It was bad. Yeah, and, and so that's that'll be a, a decent segue to sort of doing a postmortem on on the season and now that we're at the end of, of the regular season. But I, I, I think it's worth pointing out a, a couple high points, worthy high points from the game. One, um, our boy uh, Matt Coughlin is back. Went three for four, missed on one from uh, 45, which... Okay. I mean, you know, you don't love it, but it's fine. It was a windy day, cold weather. He missed from 45, but was good for three other field goals. Um, and then Trey Mosley, uh, freshman, burned red, uh, burned red shirt freshman, Trey Mosley, had, I believe, eight catches for, I think, 149 yards. Again, we're very professional here and don't have the box score up. But some high points. Uh, Trey Mosley, eight reception, 73 yards. No, 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 no. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I thought he had a hell of a game. Well, it's still, eight receptions. He, he was, was averaging prob- 9.1 yards a reception, which is fine. Medium. I mean, for, for, that's not entirely up to him. Uh, for a game that didn't have many high points, uh, we had a freshman who was reliably catching the ball in a season where we were plagued by drops. So that's a good thing. Um, Speaking of young talent, you know who had the most tackles in the game? Who? Noah Harvey, our guy. Oh. One sack, yep. five tackles. Yes. Pretty good. Noah Harvey, ladies and so- gents. So the the youth is something to look forward to coming into next season. But to your point, look this this season didn't work. No, D'Antonio made some decisions about coaching staff uh, that obviously the the jury's back in. Guilty. Didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think we're expecting some of that news to come down this week. Hopefully next week, it looks like other teams out there are sort of making those moves now. Um, I would hope that someone over there in the athletic department sort of been working this out because it's been obvious that it needs to happen for a month now. But if I were a betting man, I would bet no one's been looking at it because the athletic department isn't going to put any pressure on Coach D'Antonio. They're probably scared that he's going to retire and he probably has been focusing on football games because he wants to win them. And uh, I think right around, I don't know, Sunday afternoon is when Mark D started sitting down and really thinking about who he can replace and with whom he will replace them, which is just too late to start doing that kind of thing. Though, I don't know if you saw this mm-hmm. at the Duke game, 
Coach D'Antonio was at the game, and seated next to him was a uh, commitment uh, for Kentucky, mm. D-tackle guy, four stars. Great. Yeah, Michigan, uh, the state of Michigan's number one rated player or something. First off, as a note, I try to stay away from recruiting because it's it seems a little bit pathetic for someone with a job to be watching the musings of 16-year-old kids and like caring whether or not they chose to go to the school that I went to. Uh, but I understand that it's important. Um, so that's great. Why is this kid going to Kentucky right now? Kentucky? Doesn't matter. The point is, is that Marky D is still working. Working it. I mean, I, I was at least happy to hear that no matter what, he is still clearly trying on that front. And well, th- there, is, there is some speculation that we maybe have some silent commitments that just haven't uh, tuned in yet. Okay, the silent commitment thing. So yeah. the, the children are our future. How many red shirts were burned uh, in this last game or on the season? I think 12. 12 burned red shirts. Which, by the way, the, just the term burning a red shirt seems like very violent to me it's just like why can't it be a celebration of of like oh this young player has shown their potential and will will be using their eligibility for the season rejoice no it's like well burn the red shirt well you'll be happy to know greg that uh our next uh, not a sponsor mm. uh in the spirit of uh reduce reuse and recycle uh, MSU did not burn the red shirts. Indeed, oh. they laundered them, folded them up, and took them over to the MSU surplus store, where you can find on clearance right now 12 authentic red shirts from the MSU football team worn this year, including three running backs who are all in the same class. That's a collector's <laughs> item, folks. A collector's item. Available at the place that you normally go to for very not great looking office furniture, the MSU Surplus Store. Get your red shirts. I know that you really want the Julian Barnett red shirt. I know that if this was real, you would ask me to go down to the to the Surplus Store and get you the Julian Barnett red shirt. I would sleep in it every night. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> All right. Uh, so thank you, MSU Surplus Store and uh, MSU Football for being our, uh, our uh, for a first time, not a sponsor. Uh, hope to not hear from you again for redshirt management. Um, with that, let's take it off Grand River and cover some of the stories that are going around, around uh, you know, the college football and, and sometimes professional sports world. Let's start with something we alluded to, the coaching carousel. Uh, mm. Some of the big names that were thought to be potential replacements for Mark D'Antonio have made some interesting moves or not moves yet. Matt Campbell, the coach for Iowa State, has signed a contract extension through 2025, Mm. keeping him at Iowa State. Luke Fickle, as of recording, remains TBD, but there seems to be some hype for Boston College. And, Greg, your personal favorite, Chris Peterson out of Washington, has 
step down citing frustration, anxiety, and I guess sadness? Um, and plans to take some time off to be with his family. To recharge is what he said in the, in the letter to the university. Um, so this makes Chris Peterson sort of like a big target. Like a lot of fan bases are going to talk about Chris Peterson coming back in a couple of years, like Urban Meyer. It's like Urban Meyer is 1A, Chris, Peters- Chris Peterson is going to be 1B in terms of just the name that fan bases are going to go after. I, ever since Mark D'Antonio acknowledged that he's coming back or confirmed that he's coming back for next season, I've been trying to take things off on the carousel because it can make you crazy. It can stir you up. Um, Luke Fickle is, would you take the Boston College job? I mean, what's the most relevant that Boston College has ever been? Is it when Matt Ryan had that big season? We played them, right? Yeah, that was the game that uh, that Brian Hoyer threw like five interceptions, I believe. After being Boston. pretty reliable for not being a pick guy, and I remember we were at that game. Yep. Um, we and were. I I remember. So this was uh, we're dating ourselves, but at the time that bowl game, I forget which bowl it was. It was in Orlando. It was the less prestigious of the two Orlando Bulls, whatever those are called now, which I don't know because MSU hasn't been back to Florida in like five or six years now. Yeah. Well, anyway, I remember (laughs) they had set up a thing where you could text a number and your text message would appear on the big screen TV and people were just texting the worst stuff about Matt Ryan. Uh, and it was getting broadcast because they didn't have someone filtering the content. It was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but so coaching car- getting back to the coaching carousel, it, something of note, though, is that many programs, for instance, Arizona State, mm-hmm. immediately let go of some assistant coaches following the end of the regular season. Right. It is assumed that Mark D'Antonio... Sh- wanting to sell some tickets next year is going to let go of some assistant coaches. Well, I'm going to crack a beer here because this subject makes me want to do that. If you recall from Mark D'Antonio's press conference last year when he had his, uh, I don't know, he was more open with the media than he generally tends to be talking about his decision-making for rearranging the current coaching staff. I believe he said as part of that, and I'm paraphrasing, that he doesn't have a coaching Rolodex like other coaches. And part of the part of that informed his decision to rearrange the existing staff because there aren't people out there that he knows and could trust in these types of situations. Has that changed in a year? Well, I doubt it. I doubt gonna, it very I'm, much. I'm going to say this. One, he put all of those offensive coaches, for the most part, on one-year contracts. So he should have seen the writing that he wrote on his own wall. But he expected this to work. Second, he can't trust them anymore. So I don't care if they have to hire a search firm. Like, I don't care what they got to do. They got to do something. And so... I completely agree. I think the athletic department should have been working on this behind the scenes, you know, putting lists together, doing things like that weeks ago, months ago. Right. Bet they haven't. 
and and if that's true, the the problem with this is, and and you know, look, he he and they sometimes do things in secret and fine, but other schools are going to gobble up these candidates, mm-hmm. and so if MSU wants to start doing some gobbling, they got to be doing some work. Gobble up, gobble gobble. Uh, I think first and foremost, you need. <clears throat> recruiting talent on the staff maybe it's there and i just don't understand it but there's no one out there that's that seems to be dynamic and just blowing up recruiting rankings uh there's got to be someone to just like inject some energy in this staff right now um and then there's obviously got to be changes to some of the position coaches so uh jim bullman got uh got a lot of press because i think he recruited the last two three-star trash recruits uh, (laughs) to show our age even more. But I don't know. I'm just not optimistic about this process. And D'Antonio's job doesn't rely on it either. So, Yeah. Well, so, uh, look, uh, TBD on all of this. Remember when this started off Grand River and then went very much back on to Grand River? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. well, we'll obviously be following this uh, and and keep, keep you posted. And certainly, as things come out, you can follow us on Twitter at Spartan underscore Pod, and we'll be talking about it there as well. But let's move to something that blew up on Twitter and got some some national attention, which is the Michigan man wants to let you know they play the right way. Uh, for those who don't know, Michigan got demolished by Ohio State again. And the the fan site for Michigan fans, MGO Blog, wrote an article about how they're the only ones in the Big Ten who don't cheat, who don't pay people, whose athletes are really, truly student-athletes, and that's why they can't win. That's why they can't big the, win the big one. And in particular... They pointed to the fact that Justin Fields, in I, I would admit something maybe a little bit tone deaf, said that he was taking all online classes. And so that's the reason that they can't win, is because Justin Fields takes online classes. They forgot to mention that Justin Fields was offered by Harvard. So there's, there's that. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I I don't know. I mean, it, it it blew up on Twitter and, and national uh, writers picked it up. It, it is the dumbest of all takes that I've ever heard. Do you got anything to say about it? I mean, it's the same tired refrain that they do every time. They sing every time. Every time they can't, you know, measure up athletically against other programs, they wave the academics flag, even though it's completely unfounded. Uh, I mean, I can't be bothered by this anymore because i've just seen it so many times but i mean their current head football coach ripped them back in the day for pretending to be academically superior and pushing athletes into you know gen ed classes um they do a lot of the stuff that they used to uh criticize the sec teams for doing they they revoke scholarship offers now. They run off upperclassmen and get them to transfer out of the program. They bring in very large recruiting classes, bordering on over signing. So 
the academic superiority thing, I've just heard it so many times and it's so tired and they've just, they've sang that song so many times. I can't be bothered with it anymore. What do you Yeah, think? so I think, I think where we land and I think you're saying this uh, is that they are a garbage school with garbage people <laughs> who uh, think that somehow their copy of Plato is better than the one at any other school. Um, and we're tired of your elitism. It's not warranted at all. And by the way, for a school that receives public funding, you don't serve mostly students from the state of Michigan. So shut up. So, <laughs> by the way, you started I, this MGO blog. You did this to yourself. I hate you, <laughs> and you have earned no respect. Anyway, moving on from that garbage school. Uh, let's talk about some other garbage individuals. The NF or the NHL <laughs> could have said the NFL. Who cares? Uh, the NHL that uh, still worked. <laughs> yeah, coaching is a thing. There, they're having a bit of uh, well, they're I guess joining the last two years. Finally, I think yeah. two three years. Um, you know. I'll, I'll I'll let you give the backstory um, about what's going on, other than uh, you know Don Cherry trying to get a Fox News uh, commentator yeah, deal. Yeah, commentary deal. Uh, if there were Fox News sports channels, he'd be he'd be hired. Uh, so I mean, really, it started with Don Cherry, and this is a little bit different. But you know, he made some comments about patriotism in Canada relating to immigrants, actually, calling them for the. You For people? those who don't know uh, Don Cherry, because I, I think it's worth knowing, Don Cherry is a a former coach and has for a long time been a a, a flamboyant commenta- color commentator in, in for Hockey Night in Canada on yeah. CNBC. Huge hockey personality for, in Canada. Not CNBC. What is it? CBC? CBC. Well, I know TSN. I know the, the, the sports network. Uh, if... A little little inside Canada for you because I've got Canadian family members and I've spent some time there. When you watch Sports Center in Canada, they don't do the highlights of all the very of like here are the baseball games, here are the basketball games, here's the hockey games. They do highlights of every professional hockey game played that night. I'm serious. They they have a uh. hockey block and they cover every hockey game. Anyway, so Don Don Cherry made some comments, uh, was fired from his job, um, and that sort of started this like cascade of uh, you know more public resentment towards people that are kind of considered the older guard of hockey. And I, I'm not a huge NHL guy personally, um, and I, I'm not saying that Mike Babcock would make such comments, but Mike Babcock, former Red Wings coach, uh, then uh, Toronto Maple Leafs coach was fired this week. A lot of his ex-players started making comments in the media, including like Chris Chelios and Johan Franzen, uh, about how poor a coaching job he used to do in his old school, you know, type of coaching. Like verbally abusive, verbally abusive, uh, and, and not in any kind of, you know, not with any kind of like redeeming quality at all. Just like cutting hurtful, you know, very, very damaging. Um, one of his proteges. And, and again, 
I'm not sure that this directly relates, but it's sort of all in the same sphere. Uh, Bill Peters, coach of the the Calgary Flames, was fired for for using the N word years ago with a minor league team. Uh, so there seems to be a bit of a reckoning going on in the NHL coaching ranks and, and media personality ranks, which is uh, which is interesting to watch. And you know what? I don't want to speak for you, but I, I'm guessing you would say the same thing, which is good. You're a professional. Act like a professional. Mm-hmm. You, you know, what's not acceptable is verbally assaulting someone in the workplace. They're professionals. You're a professional. Talk to each other like professionals. You know what's not okay in the workplace? Racism. Period. Full stop. Agree. <clears throat> Although, we should say... This is an MSU podcast, and we cover MSU topics. Tom Izzo was accused of some of this behavior last year during the NCAA tournament, or last season, I should say, during the NCAA tournament. Do you see differences between this kind of behavior and, and that that Tom Izzo exhibited earlier this this year, last season? So, to the best of my knowledge, and you know, if if information came out that was different. I would view it differently, but to the best of my knowledge, Tom Izzo is at times very aggressive, but is not personally aggressive. And, and, and what I mean by that is yelling at a kid for his play is different than yelling at a kid in a non-redeeming fa- fashion. And, and maybe I, I will rightfully take any criticism that I'm being blind and, and padded to, to my own school. And maybe I am, but I look at how every player has talked about him as a coach and including the one that was supposedly verbally assaulted last year, that part of the reason he came to MSU is because Coach Izzo coaches hard. This, it, it, there is a difference between Coach Izzo and uh, Bobby Knight. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't think there's a difference, I think you're just being an asshole. I agree. No, uh, you have to understand that there's nuances to this. And there's a difference between being hard on someone when they've made a bad play and then being verbally abusive all the time. And that's just your personality 100% of the time. Um, There's been other coaches that have been similarly uh, uh, criticized. What's his name at the Bears? Got into it on camera with Mitch Trubisky, his quarterback, the the Chicago Bears. And then Trubisky, you know, said to the media, no, I need that. I, I need to be talked to like that. That's a coach doing coaching things. So you have to understand that there's a difference between the two. And like you said, there was an outpouring of support from former players for Tom Izzo in a way that there has been no outpouring for Mike Babcock. So, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, what Izzo blew up about was lack of hustle. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, he he was he was understandably pissed because he didn't think Aaron Henry was doing the bare minimum for what he expects out of a player. Now, it, it doesn't sound like that's the scenario that's going on with Mike Babcock. And I would again reiterate, if there was evidence to suggest that Tom Izzo was just an abusive guy. That would change my opinion, but by all accounts, that he is loved and adored by his players, 
and that Izzo talks to you in the way that you talk to family sometimes, which is I mean, not maybe always... not every day, maybe not every minute. I'm, I'm sure there are times where players right. have had choice things to say about Tom Izzo. And maybe right, but... even some players that have left the program have had choice things to say about Tom Izzo. Um, sure. I'm, I can remember uh, Corey Lucius, you know, said some things in the media about how Tom Izzo wouldn't let him play his game. Um, What's his name? Who was it that transferred to Notre Dame, got drunk and went on Reddit one night and started answering questions? Oh, I I didn't know about this. Uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, MSU. Oh, this is making for really great content. Uh, This is what we needed. Yep. Uh, Greg Googling. On the podcast. I'm not going to do it. People will remember. We'll do this last week or we'll do this next week. Um. Anyway, he he got drunk. He went on Reddit and he did it, ask me anything about uh, playing for Tom Izzo or other basketball related things. Um, and he, he, you know, he said that Tom Izzo will uh, will let you know if you're uh, not doing what's expected of you. But he didn't say that Tom Izzo was evil or that you know terrible guy. So um, I think there's a difference there. And if you know you've been in sports, you kind of can recognize that or been around sports long enough. Um, that there's a big difference. So in this off Grand River segment, what we're learning is that all roads lead to Grand River. Um, next up, uh, want to chat about the Big Ten championship game. Sadly, no U of M. That's right. The University of Minnesota fell to Wisconsin, which means it is Wisconsin v. Ohio State. OSU currently favored by 16. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I'm even going to watch this game. It was Garrick Sherman, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, this is what we all expected. Wisconsin versus Ohio State. It's also a game that's already been played once this year, uh, which Ohio State won 38-7 in Columbus. Um, if you go back and watch the tape, it was close at one point in the third quarter. It was like 7-10 to 10 Ohio State, but then they blew it open. So uh, the line, what's OSU favored by right now? 16. 16? I don't know, man. They've obliterated everyone all year. They've already beat this Wisconsin team once by 31 points. Is there any reason to think that Ohio State's not going to the college football playoff? I mean, well, so actually, by the way, hat tip to uh, the only podcast because fun fact that I didn't realize, which, by the way, they're great. Listen to us first. But... Ohio State has, in their schedule, beaten six division champions. So mm-hmm. when, we, when we previewed that game, we were like, oh, they haven't played anyone. FAU, division champ. Uh, who'd they run up the score on? Central, maybe? Oh, yeah. And Central's going to the MAC championship. Yes. It, it, the point is, is that it, all of their all of their non-con games are, uh, ended up being against division champs. Beat Wisconsin, division champ. Beat division runner-up in Penn State. Uh, you know, like I mean, this OSU team is legit. They're good, and, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I am weirdly rooting for them because I think Big Ten needs it. Yeah, uh, it was nice having them win the national championship last time because it was like, take that, SEC slash Clemson. Yeah, SEC plus one. Uh, 
last topic for us is no natty Nebraska. Mm. Um, <laughs> you'll recall, maybe, uh, that the governor of Nebraska declared a state holiday for Scott Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about a current 9 and 15 coach uh, in the Big Ten West, Scott Frost? Yes, the same one. The snake oil salesman himself, who had people convinced that after going 4 and 8 last year, they would somehow win the Big Ten West, convincingly so. Well, dude Uh, did go, uh, he only coached two years at UCF, and he did go 13 and 0 in his second year after I think going 500 his first. So, I mean, there's precedent for him to to have a big jump forward in year two. Um, But did you get to watch any of that Nebraska-Iowa game? I did not. So Iowa basically controlled the game, and then Nebraska got a couple lucky bounces. They got one lucky bounce. They got a pick six, I think, and then they scored just to sort of get in it a little bit. And had an opportunity at the end to put points on the on the board and actually potentially win it, failed to do so, and gave up a, a field goal to Iowa to lose. So, is again as we said last week, as we established last week, if you're feeling bad about what's happening in East Lansing, take a look over at Lincoln and just remember <laughs> that they they have their young coach that they thought was the answer, and he's gone nine and fifteen in a much worse division in his two years. So things could be a lot worse. Yeah. So with that, we will uh, wrap up off Grand River and hear a word from our next, not a sponsor. Is a Bachelor's of Arts or a Bachelor's of Science too lamestream for you? When your parents discuss majors with you, do you just want to say, okay, boomer? Do you want to have a lifetime of struggling to fill out a job application because they don't have your degree type? Well, then you should consider a BGS, a Bachelor's of General Studies from the University of Michigan. A BGS is more defined by what it's not than what it is. It doesn't require a major. It doesn't require you to learn humanities, social sciences, or natural sciences, or a foreign language. You don't have to take classes that have to do with any particular objective. When you think general studies, think, just do it. You uh, you really did not like that MGO vlog post, did you? <laughs> no, and especially because everyone knows that they push their athletes into a bachelor's of general studies, which, what the hell is that? Anyway, folks. We're going to lose we're our sponsor. About- we're going to lose our we- sponsor. We got through rivalry week, keeping Fraser's Pub, but this is going to be it. We went too hard this week. We flew too oh, close to the sun. No, no, no. Folks. I'm heated about Michigan, and it's time for your Twitter question. So, you know, it's time for me to crack another beer. Uh, let's start with good old John Hubbard. Wants John. to know, can you pretty please tell me and anyone else who needs to hear it to stop with the Chris Peterson to MSU daydreaming? Greg, what do you got? Can't do it, John. I've had a vision, and Chris Peterson will be the next coach of an MSU. He's coming. He's on his way. This is all part of the grand scheme. It is so. Eh. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Eh. I mean, okay. Like, okay. He didn't exactly turn Washington into a perennial powerhouse. Talking about, yes, he did. 
a perennial powerhouse. I he mean, they're took good. Them very close to the college football play. Or did he take them to the college football playoff? In I mean, the Pac-12. In the Pac-12. That team was terrible, and he was really good at Boise, and then he was really good at Washington. Disagree. I, I, I'm not saying. Dude I'm not is saying a would, fantastic football coach. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying I'm fine surveying the field when the time comes that we need to survey the field. I will be Wrong. ecstatic and, and very hopeful for him if he is our coach. But Wrong. I'm not going pot. All right, fine, whatever. Matt yep. Dazier, which will it be, quick lane or pinstripe? Not the bowl, but the companies. Oil change or fashion? Well, uh, as you know, but no one uh, listening to the podcast does because there's no pictures of me really lined up next next to the podcast i'm too tall and thin for pinstripes but i could use an oil change so i'll do that you do you even lift bro like (laughs) i've got some curls i've got a uh, i've got an exercise ball in a row uh, yeah yeah we make a very odd couple next to each other um (laughs) so you know pinstripe is like you know, like athletic apparel, right? Like, uh, like I chose hats and stuff. Yeah, I chose to uh, take it literally directly as pinstripes. Yeah. So here's my thing: I can change my own oil. I cannot craft a hat for myself. I refuse so I'm to go- believe that you've changed your own oil. Have you actually changed your own oil in your car? Yes. Yes. Walk me through the process. It's super, super simple. It is yeah. not complicated. Mm-hmm. You. Jack, this is bad content, by the way. But you you lift your car up. You yep. can use a jack or a ramp of some sort. You put an oil pan beneath the uh, whatever the oil is in. It's underneath your car. There's a cap. You unscrew it. The oil drains out. You drain put plug. the cap back on. Yeah, drain into plug. the drain pan. Whatever. You put the cap back on and you fill it back up with oil. That's it. It is not complicated. You didn't change the filter. No, we're talking about changing the oil. We're not cha- talking about changing the oil filter. Anyway, whatever. I'm still Next... proud of you. I'm still proud of you. That's good. Yes, I identified how to change oil. Anyway. Kinda. You missed the filter, but other than that, go ahead. Look, Steven th- book. This, this isn't car talk. All right. <laughs> it should Steven... be. There's a hole in the market for that, so. Oh, my God. I apologize to our listeners. Steven Book wants to know... Actually, I thought these were pretty thoughtful questions. Uh, he says, uh, Cassius uh, Winston is a shell of himself and will be most likely for the remainder of the season. Without Cash, and rightfully so, and without Kenny Goins, who do, you, uh, who do you guys see as the guy that's going to be the inspirational force to get things back on track, both in games and in the locker room? So... Uh, I can't claim to know the individual personalities of the team, but I've got to think it's... That's got to be something like a Xavier Tillman, right? He's a big part of the offense. Uh, he, this is supposed to be kind of his coming out year. He, uh, you know, he's an adult that's more mature than the two of us, I think. Uh, he's got one kid uh, here already that he's taken care of while being a student athlete with another on the way. Uh, normally, I would think it would be another kind of elder person in the in the locker room like a josh langford character but super elder yeah i think they're just kind of happy to have him rehabbing his his injury and maybe he comes back again someday i think it needs to be someone that's playing and someone that's a big part of the team so 
I don't get the impression that Aaron Henry has that type of personality. Gabe, you know, maybe he'll pivot his energy from being kind of a goofball, which I adore and appreciate. Uh, That's entertaining to me. So I'd hate to lose that, but maybe he becomes a vocal leader. Tum Tum Naren is there, but he was always more of like, I don't know if he was like a rah, rah, like let's win the game type of guy. I always get the impression he was more of a like, let's be better people while we're being good at basketball type of guy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think Tum Tum was running the offensive drills uh, the week leading up to Duke. It looked like it. Uh, that's you're, you're, I, you're drinking a beer as I started talking. Yeah. And, and that was actually a good point too. At the same time, that was a good combination. Uh, God, that just brought me back. Like I, I just saw I'm, visions of Tum Tum Naren offense in my mind, and <laughs> it was bad. Oh well, all right. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I will say the one the one person I think actually can st- step up. The one person I would disagree with you on is Aaron Henry. Now I don't think he's and a locker room guy for that because everything I've heard from him, every time he talks, he just seems like he seems funny and uh, thoughtful, maybe a little bit reserved at times. He does seem like a very reserved guy. Very, very, very polite. You know, he doesn't strike me as an in your face kind of guy, Mm -hmm. but we've seen him flip a switch in games before. And so if Aaron Henry can find his next level, his next gear, I could see him being an on-the-court leader. Otherwise, I totally agree with you that Xavier Tillman is the, the best we've got for a, an elder statesman who, who's back in part because it wasn't his time yet, but also I think wants to get that natty, get that final four to, to potentially leave, and, and rightfully so. So that would be my answer, Stephen. Uh, Steve, you're Steve. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, Steve and next asks, next asks uh, watching from the Brez last night uh, felt like an exhibition game uh, that didn't really count towards anything. Seating, rankings, etc. The fans were up the entire time. Uh, he says day here. I think he means day-day as in Draymond. Sure. Having a lot to do with that, but it could have been the day that is we were playing Duke. Um, and Izzo seemed to be continuously toying with the lineups. Did it feel like there was a lack of big game urgency watching on TV? Now, Greg, you were at the game. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, would you, would, you, would you agree with his assessment of what it felt like there? I thought it felt like a big game in the first half in particular. Uh, I think the crowd sort of got the gist of what was happening five or six minutes into the second half when it was clear that MSU's not coming back in this game and uh, they're going to lose by... 20 to 10 points. It just depends on where in that range. I think Cassius hit a big three and it got the, the, the deficit got down to like eight at one point in the second half and it was loud in there. But then I, I think Duke banked it inside to, uh, uh, to, uh, what's his name over at Duke, uh, who I, I refuse to acknowledge, uh, because he didn't come to MSU. And that was that, it was clear that they were going to lose. But what did it look like on TV? So I would say, first, I actually, for the, I think the crowd got it sooner rather than later because I didn't feel like the zone was particularly hopping 
pretty quickly into the game. Hmm. I, now, what I will also add to that is, you know, I might have been a little tuned into the game itself, but I, I tend to notice the Izone. Though one of the things that tends to cue me noticing the Izone is when they like to do trickery with the shot clock. Duke was so dominant on offense, that I think came up maybe a couple times in the entire game. We, our defense was not good enough to prevent them from scoring quickly within a shot clock. The miscounting down of the shot clock, it happened a yeah. few times. Uh, yeah, other, no, that's my point. Is the other it, thing not, not I'll regularly. say is that there was a few times where the green seeders tried to get up, like one or two of them and they were unsuccessful. So it was basically down to the student section to do to be making any of the noise or or doing any of the cheering. So I would I would just also add that I don't know that Izzo was so much toying with lineups as from what it looked like on TV was an inability to be effective on defense against yeah. Vernon Carey and I don't think that was toying. I think that was a I don't know what I'm doing right now because nothing's working. Though, by the way, Tom, you could have put Julius Marble into the game, who's probably the only body who can actually match up against Vernon Carey. He played, like, all of 50 seconds at the end of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, if if there's one thing that I will go after Tom Izzo about in that game, it was that. I don't know why Marble didn't get minutes earlier, because why not? You didn't... Ha- I mean, the only person who seemed to disrupt Vernon Carey was Marcus Bingham Jr. Which because of his, his his length. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep it quick. Um, <laughs> all right. This one again from, uh, Steve, uh, says, uh, the, the Brussels staff lacks any sense of an ability to show replays that need to be shown. Uh, was the officiating as bad as Spartan Twitter made it seem? Um, yes, yes, it was that. I mean, look, we didn't lose because of officiating. Let's be very clear about that. We mm. did not lose because of officiating. But that was the most garbage officiating that I've seen. And I complained about the Kentucky officiating. This was a whole, whole different level of it. Vernon Carey was pretty much calling his own fouls, drawing his own mm-hmm. contact against guys who were standing straight up and down and getting whatever foul he wanted. That missed goaltending was ridiculous. Ooh. Just ridiculous. I mean, th- this was genuinely the word. I thought there were Pac-12 officials that were so bad. It, and... Frankly, there was a point in time, and I think it was Duke not only having their own way that made me feel like I wish someone would just get a little bit violent with them. I'm just talking about throwing an elbow, you know, maybe maybe doing a charge that is a little aggressive, whatever, just to get some sense of we're not, not fighting here. We're going to fight. But I would have been totally fine with Izzo getting kicked out of the game. That's how bad that officiating was. And so... You know, he got teed up. I would have, I would have, I would have lost it about being teed up if I was Izzo because his complaints were completely valid. Were valid. Yeah, I, that it was terrible. That's all I got. That's fair. That's fair. CT and um, TC. Yeah, CT and TC. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Right Can't stop. Won't stop with the office gifts. Um, I'm continuing to humor him. Uh, he asks with, through the office gif, gif of uh, Jim Halpert impersonating Dwight Schrute. Question: What kind of bear is best? I mean, I, I appreciate the engagement on Twitter. I certainly do, but I refuse to traffic in manufactured office references on this podcast. Uh, I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't do it. 
and we brought to that level. Uh, but CT and TC, great on Twitter. Follow that guy. Fantastic on Twitter. Do follow him. That is maybe one of my favorite office scenes of all time. I will say what bear is best is uh, any team that has a bear mascot that is playing the University of Michigan. Bearcat. <laughs> sure. Uh, upper Deck Jerk Guy. We got bow, big. Bow, bow. Boom. Upper Deck Jerk Guy was saving up, and then he let it go, man. Yes, big time he this week. did. Uh, first question, transfer quarterback. Yay or nay? And for those listeners who don't know, the issue here is that we have our senior quarterback graduating, and the guys behind him have not proven to look very good. So do we go out and get a transfer of some sort to buy another year for the young guys? Yeah, I, I would have taken a transfer quarterback in the Maryland game uh, with Brian Lewerke's <laughs> second, second interception, which we didn't even mention. On two consecutive passes. Terribly. He just played <laughs> awful. Uh, for me, it's a big yay, upper deck jerk guy. Uh, depending, of, cor- of course, on what's out there. Um, this... I think we've all acknowledged that Rocky is not the dude as much as we might admire his football name and his magnificent mane of hair. He was at the game last night, by the way. I saw him coming up the uh, the aisle, and I was just like, God, God, look that at that hair. Donis. Uh, but I don't want him to be the quarterback next year because <sighs> he's had his opportunities, and he has not really capitalized on them. So... The other guys on uh, scholarship are young enough that I think you could bring in a transfer, a grad transfer, and not have to worry about losing both of them. So I'm for it. What do you think? So I, I don't know enough. And here's what I would say. If Theo Day or Peyton Thorne is not serviceable next year, then yes. but. I'm not expecting to win more than six games next year. I'm okay with a six and six year next year. That is at least entertaining. <sighs> I, Wouldn't no, it be no. more entertaining with a little bit of juice at quarterback? But, but here, here's, here's my point. All right, here's, here's my counter. Jalen Naylor, wide receiver, taking a red shirt. So he will be a red shirt sophomore next year. Trey Mosley, sophomore next year. Julian Barnett sophomore next year. Cody White, senior next year. So we're going to lose him. This is an opportunity to have a quarterback that is going to grow up with three receivers, not to mention three freshmen on the offensive line, a uh, a sophomore, redshirt sophomore running back, and a uh, true sophomore running back behind him. Look, I'm fine if one of the two guys, Peyton Thorne or Theo Day, you think can be the guy. The guy for the next few years. If it's not those guys, then yes, go out. But if you think it can be Mark D'Antonio, then don't win for next year. I don't care about winning for next year because this isn't a team that's old enough to win for next year. I do care about you building for two, three years from now. So that's my counter. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next. <laughs> this is going longer, but these were actually pretty solid Twitter questions this week. Um, this one, however, is not, uh, what's your normal bedtime? How do late games affect you? Uh, well, I would say that we're still young, virile men that drink on weekday nights. So nothing will affect us and we will never die. 
strong support, though I was a little, uh, I, I was, I, I, I had to watch some TV after the game last night to clear myself emotionally because that 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 sucked, uh, and <laughs> and as a result, got up very tired this morning. We're gonna have to put a disclaimer at the front of this thing about if my you're triggered by Michael's coughing. We apologize in advance. Yeah, I'm did sorry. You lean I got in th- on that cough. That that one I did. Normally I pull out, but it, that one I leaned in on. Uh, that one was for you, JD. Uh, Jer Bear, you know what I mean. All right. Uh, Upper Deck Jerk Guy wants to know <laughs> who else should have their number retired. I thought this was a really interesting question. So I seem to recall, basketball wise, Kalen Lucas used to get some talk about that he was big 10 player of the year he went to two final fours if he hadn't gotten hurt i think everyone in the fan base thinks that the program had a real shot at a national championship that year so i a part of it is what happens after basketball and Kalen, you know, you don't have to be an NBA all-star to have a, a good basketball career, but he's been a bit of a journeyman. He's had a couple of chances in the NBA. I think that informs the decision of whether or not to put the number up. I also think that the program is just elevated to a point now where it's more difficult to get your number up there. Uh, so, I mean... Maybe sure. maybe you could say Valentine. He had a lot of the same accolades that Draymond did. You know, he was on some National Player of the Year lists. But Draymond is also different in that he's given back financially and in a you know, time-wise in a way that I'm not aware that Valentine has. And he's been tremendously successful in the NBA in a way that Valentine has not. Um I think back in the day, if we were using Judd Heathcote level um, criteria to evaluate these guys, I think Kalen and Valentine could both see themselves going up to the rafters. But now I kind of think it's a long shot. What do you think? So I'm going to take this in a different direction because one of your notes here had sort of inspired me that he didn't specify that it was basketball. Uh, so I think the obvious answer is LJ Scott uh, for that <laughs> for that iconic play. I'm just waiting for it. For that iconic play where he stretched over the line to beat Iowa. That's right, Jared, uh, in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, or Connor Cook, if he has a successful pro career uh, with the Roughnecks in uh, the XFL. And, and I mean, in seriousness, Connor Cook is probably the best quarterback that MSU football has ever seen. So maybe. Bro, Drew Sin, come on. He he might be yeah, listening no. out there. All right. No, you, Drew is always nearest and dearest to my heart. But in, in seriousness, it, you're, you made a note here about Mike Sadler. That is a number that I would be more than okay retiring. Um, it's a bit weird that it's a punter, but honestly, he was a fantastic punter. And got taken way, way too soon. Um, and so I would be okay with the university honoring him that way. Um, anyway, uh, next question. What person over 50 do you have a crush on? I spent some time thinking about this upper deck jerk guy. And I'm going to very specifically date myself. I looked it up. My first crush of all time 
the Pink Ranger, Amy Jo Johnson, is 49 years old. So she's about to become my person over 50 that I have a crush on because that first one never goes away. So that's my answer. And it also allows the listenership to very precisely (laughs) either recoil at the idea that the Pink Ranger is about to be 50 but then, but also like pinpoint how old we are. So what, what do you get? Uh, for me, this is a uh, super duper duper easy one. And the fact that you didn't have this blows my mind. It, the answer is obvious. Paul Rudd. Oh. Hands down, Paul Rudd. Sure. Yeah, he's I mean, a nice guy. Nice guy. Yeah. Very handsome. Doesn't seem to age. Sure. Wealthy. I'm all in. I'd kiss that man on the mouth. Yeah. I would absolutely kiss that man on the mouth. Anyway, last question from the Upper Deck Jerk Guy is stout or porter? So, beer trivia time. What is the difference between a stout and a porter? The difference is in the malt. Uh, Porters use malted barley, and stouts primarily use unmalted roasted barley, which kind of gives that coffee taste. So... Personally, I love them both. They're sort of considered uh, like seasonal beers, which I think is a mistake. I love a stout and a porter year round, but because the Upper Deck Jerk Guy asked me to choose, I'm going to go porter on this one because my all-time favorite beer, the the, the Eddie Fitz of Great Lakes Brewing Company, is a porter. Although I do enjoy a stout, and uh, Founders makes a lot of great stouts, including CBS, which is in stores right now. Um, I'm going to go available at Fraser's Pub. And, oh, and available at Fraser's Pub, who's still our sponsor, even after all yes. the the garbage we talked about uh, Michigan this week. What do you think? That's because they are a Big Ten friendly school and a big friendly, Big Ten friendly bar. Uh, and I'm going to go Porter because one of my absolute favorite beers introduced to me by someone at Fraser's pub is the Puerto Rico by, uh, Ooh. or Puerto Rico by, uh, Arcadia Brewing Company, uh, which is a, a, a wonderful Porter that has, uh, coconut undertones. Fantastic, fantastic beer. Uh, all right. Uh, last Twitter question is from Rebecca Sawyer. If the Spartan basketball starters were Thanksgiving pies, what would they be? Or alternate, which Christmas songs would they be? (laughs) So I'm going to go Christmas song on this because we've all had Thanksgiving and we're sort of moving on. I I don't know. This one's tough. Uh, I'm going to go with. It's got to be like a Bing Crosby Christmas song for for Cassius Winston, right? Because he like he has that old soul look about him, and so it's got to be like old and classic. Um, so choose from the Bing Crosby catalog, uh, Crosby catalog. Um, from there, I'm gonna go Aaron Henry. Let's go with like uh, I don't know. If if joy to the world or something like that's off the table, let's go with like drummer boy or something. I I don't know. Um, is there anyone that's super religious on the team that we can do like hark the herald angels sing for them? Tum 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 on the bench. Hark Jeremy the herald Langford. angels sing. And Langford, same diff. Yeah, the two of them should be a starter, but he's not. So I'm gonna claim that. Uh, what's the most dad? of all of the Christmas songs. 
because we'll give that one to Xavier Tillman. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. Feliz Navidad. Uh, I was I was gonna go like Twelve Days of Christmas because he's got to like give all those presents to his kids. Kid kids. I don't know. What do you now that you're a father? What do you? Uh, which of the Christmas songs do you think is gonna affect you most this this coming season? I I don't care for Christmas songs. After oh. working retail, it just ruins it for me. That's true. Listening to them over and over and over again. Who did we miss? Who else is out there? I would just like to say for Gabe Brown, uh, who I'm counting at this point as a starter to a degree, uh, that uh, he feels like uh, the Mariah Carey Christmas song. I was going to go with something like maybe comedy themed, maybe like the Elvin and the Chipmunks. Most <sighs> of the comedy Christmas songs are garbage, so I wouldn't want to do that to our friend Gabe. But um, Elvin and the Chipmunks is still kind of like classy, right? Kind of classic. Um, this qu- Twitter question has already taken up uh, too much time. <laughs> well, let's move on to our final not a sponsor. Yes. Uh, this episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is not brought to you by Rutgers University. Rutgers is back again. Uh, for those who listened last week... Um, They'd like to invite Mike, myself, uh, and, and Kevin to trip on our dicks. That's right. We got our guy. Greg Schiano is back. Eat one. And he's coming for you, Spartans. He was 500 as a coach last time, and he might do slightly better than that this time. Doubtful, because he wasn't in the Big Ten East. Uh, but Big Ten, uh, Rutgers wants to let you know that we're a real school, and uh, we demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> Uh, Rutgers University, Greg Schiano, can't read, can't write. We're all in this together. Um, it was nice of Rutgers to listen to last week's episode, and I don't blame them for being upset because we were pretty hard on them, and we were wrong. They (laughs) look, they they had to get expertise on this search somehow, and they were going to all the sources. Like you might remember ZipRecruiter. Yep. Uh, Zip they, they partnered together. We got really uh, close to placing some candidates for Rutgers. Yeah, we, yes, we did. Uh, we we didn't talk about, but we should just say that uh, Greg Schiano has ruined uh, the Big Ten because he has now set the baseline um, for uh, what it means to be compensated in the Big Ten as a coach. Eight years, thirty-two million dollars. Greg Schiano is is a bottom. And uh, that's for you, JD. And uh, that's two. I mean, that's not bad. That's four mil a year, right? Am I doing my math yeah. right? Yeah. No, you are. But I mean, at Rutgers. So, speaking of Rutgers, uh, we have a preview of the Rutgers basketball game that is coming up next week. God, this podcast is so Rutgers right now. Yeah. So Rutgers apparently fields varsity teams in uh, other sports that they're not good at. Uh, including men's basketball. Look, here's what you need to know. Uh, their basketball team is marginally better than their football team. and uh, But Rutgers is going to Butgers, you know? Uh, <laughs> their guard, uh, Geo Baker, is actually good. I mean, he's a good player. The rest of the team, not so much. The one thing to watch out for is they do a decent job of protecting the rim and are rebounding at a level that is consistent with this particular MSU team. That said, I think they're 7-0 and right now. They have played uh, six uh, quad four opponents and one quad three opponent, 
or they're six and one. Um, their one loss is against the quad three opponent, which is still like a terrible loss. Um, look, uh, I'd like to see MSU play a bit more forcefully and physically in this game and uh, demonstrate some more physicality. That word for, is for you, Mom. Uh, and and prove that they can get over this Duke game. You got anything for this, Greg? Yeah, I mean, it's a rebound game. Uh, it's nice to have these uh, MSU really benefited. We've been uh, we've been handed a bit a bit of a bag in the past uh, by the uh, the Big Ten scheduling office, but uh, MSU gets Rutgers and Northwestern in its like December conference play-in games, so. Hopefully the team has a nice rebound against Rutgers, gets ready for, uh, you know, kind of a, an event-style Oakland game at uh, Little Caesars Arena, and then back at the Breslin Center, I believe, for the Northwestern game. So the the good news about the schedule is that it gets a lot easier. I know that this is already a three-loss MSU team, but these next few games should help ease into it a little bit. I don't think the next ranked opponent is until Michigan in early January. So um, let's just, let's get back on track. Let's see which, uh, which of these, uh, you know, lineup combinations work the best and let's coast through a few of these teams. That's, that's what I'd like to get out of this Rutgers game. Yeah. 1000%. Uh, so, look, we want to thank you all for tuning in. Want to maybe maybe we should just acknowledge that last week we had Dan Hodgman on and who was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Had a bit of an audio uh, issue. Hopefully you guys all felt like the content made up for it. And we are hoping to have him back on again as well as some other guests, hopefully a, a, a guest next week, and promise you that we will do better on the audio next time. Um, we learned a little bit about having a guest on. And so um, as we're going we to grow, th- we're going to grow yeah. from it. We, we continue to thank you for, for listening and, you know, uh, look forward to hopefully happier days ahead. <laughs> if you're a Spartan fan and Rutgers, as we said last week, is the vaccine that cures all the Ill- ills. And so uh, we look forward to being psyched about a Rutgers win and I think next week we will be able to let you know which bowl game we're in, and we'll be able to preview that a bit. So, and set up our can't re can't rate tailgates because we're oh. we're ready to do that. Yeah, uh, you're in Detroit. I'm in New York. It'll be perfect. Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> folks. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Can't Re Can't Write. I'm Mike Jones. Uh, he's Kevin Greck, and Greck, go green, go white. <laughs>